One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, master, master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. Great, thanks so much, Sarah, and good morning. My name is James, I'm on the staff team here at HDC, and it's great to be with you this morning. A particular welcome to those who are new this morning, and what a story we have just heard read. So much going on there. Before we get into that, let me pray together. Father God, we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus. And Lord, we thank you there is no one like him. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of us today, just where we are at, through this story. And may we, Lord, see you afresh, and as you really are, Lord. And may we know that in Christ we have no need to be afraid, because we are safe in you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. 
Amen. Amen. Well, today the weather is actually okay, but last, this last week hasn't been great. It has, hasn't been particularly summery. And particularly, I, I wanted to cast your mind back just a few days ago to Wednesday afternoon. Anyone remember that? When the heavens opened and it was pouring with rain? Where were you at that moment when the rain was pouring? I was just about to set out at lunchtime and I, I was in shorts, t-shirt, all ready to go, summer, here we are. Check the weather forecast just before I left. Quickly got changed into full waterproof, top and bottom. And actually managed to escape pretty much unscathed. Got to the lunchtime service and, um, and yeah, I was managed to, to be all right. But I know that wasn't the case for everyone. Some people really did get drenched. And in this story, uh, you know, in that evening, in fact, Wednesday of summer nights, it wasn't really summery, was it? It was more like stormy nights. But anyway, in the story, what we find is Jesus and his disciples... They are right in the middle of a storm. And it's not like what we've had this last week. It was torrential rain. It was violent storm, very real, scary situation. And that's where we see, find ourselves in our story. And let's keep our eyes on Jesus throughout. And gosh, Jesus must have been exhausted. He must have been so tired. Because even in the storm, he's asleep. And he's not just asleep. He is fast asleep. So much so, the disciples actually have to wake him up. He's that asleep. So if you are feeling tired this morning, have great comfort. Jesus knows what that is like. He is fully human. And we see in the story that he can sleep even in a storm. I wonder if you can do that. Sleep even in a storm. Jesus knows what that's like. He's in the boat with his disciples. But the disciples are very much not asleep. They are panicking. They're fearful of their lives. So they wake Jesus up. And they say, or they probably shout, given the weather, they shout, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Going to drown. They were in great danger. We see in the previous verses, the boat was being swamped. Water was coming in on every side. They were in great danger. Perhaps understandably, the disciples thought they were going to drown. And I wonder if anyone today, right now, is feeling a little bit like the disciples in that story swamped, overwhelmed, so much coming at you from all sides. Anyone feeling like that? So much on your plate. Well, what we see in this story is that how, look how Jesus responds. Read with me. Jesus, he got up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Jesus has that power his power over it all. He can calm the storms then and calm the storms of our life now in an instant. Just with the words, always calm. Jesus can do that for us. It doesn't always work out that way. It's not always an instant calming of a storm in our own lives. But Jesus has that power. And what we can see in this story is Jesus is there in the boat and yet he has the power over the storms that are facing the disciples. And some of us are wanting to hear that question. Jesus asked his disciples, where is your faith? The disciples, they're very experienced on these waters. They would have known them very well every day they would have been on them. They could have thought, I can manage this myself. I can just get through this. I can manage this situation. They could have had faith in themselves. But Jesus asked them, where is your faith? Is it in yourself or is it in me? Is it in Jesus? And the disciples in response to that, say, who is this? Verse 25, who is this? Who is this Jesus? Now we're looking at, over this course, this term, no one like Jesus. Who is this? 
He commands even the winds and the waves, and they obey him. They come to Jesus. They see him in fear and amazement. They're in great awe of Jesus. They, they were scared before in the storm, but now they're in great fear at Jesus. They see who he is and that he has the power over their storm. And some of us today, that's the message we need to hear. That simple truth. Jesus is with us in the storm. The boat might be rocking to and fro. Water's coming in on all sides, but Jesus is there. He's in the boat. Even when they're in great danger, he is there with them. And yet he has total power, total authority over the storm. And so we can say today that in Christ, we have no need to be afraid because we're safe in Jesus. Safe in his power over the storms and safe in his love, his care for us. Jesus is with the boat, Jesus with us in the boat, sorry. He has total power over all and we are safe in him. And we could just stop there. That could be the message for us today. But the journey continues. That's actually only just the way to get to where Jesus wants to go. Jesus is determined to get to the other side of the lake, to the region of the Gerasenes. <clears throat> now, the Gerasenes, this would have been uncharted territory for Jesus and his disciples. This wouldn't be an area they would go to normally. It might be the first time, in fact, they would have gone to this place. We'll see later. This is the Gentile area, just a non-Jewish area. So Jesus, all his disciples would have kept well away from this area. And for some of us, we get to this part of the story and it might be a little bit unfamiliar to us, if we're honest. This might feel a bit like uncharted territory because what is unfamiliar and unknown is often what's most scary to us, certainly for me. The place of my greatest fears and anxieties, what I don't know, what I don't understand, what I can't get my head around. And some of us, I was speaking to someone, in fact, just in the break between these services, some, people, some of us here, we are facing fears that are very real, very big right now. We're in the midst of facing grappling with anxiety. Maybe it's a big decision you've made or about to make. Whatever it might be, an illness maybe you're struggling with or you know someone else's. But for others of us, we're not in that place right now. Maybe we have been in the past, but not at this moment in our lives. But we still too need to hear that message. We have no need to be afraid because we are safe in Jesus and his loving arms for when those times come and the fears hit us, but also for those of us we know who are facing this in our church family, but also in our city, in London, for our families, for our friends, for those we love. So this is the message for all of us. And what we'll see, even in this uncharted territory, is that a message that's exciting and it's liberating for us all because we see Jesus in all his glory, all his majesty, and that we are safe in him. So we get in the story. The disciples have got through the storm, weather the storm, as it were. They're probably still soaking wet. They're probably hoping to dry off, have a nice cup of tea, sit down, relax on the beach. So they get to the shore, and what happens? In, what does Jesus do? Jesus steps ashore, and who does Jesus meet? Verse 27, let's read. When Jesus stepped ashore... He was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. What a welcome. Not quite your local tourist, kind of showing you around the locals, welcoming you to the area. A demon-possessed man. We read in this uh, story, for a long time, this man had not worn clothes, all lived in a house, but lived in the tombs. And then further down we see, many times it, that's a demon, had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot, 
and kept on the guard. He had broken his chains and been driven by the demon into solitary places. So just so we're clear, this man is naked. He's violent. He's shouting at Jesus at the top of his voice, all due to this demon that's possessing him. And before we go any further, let's just pause there. Just keep that picture in mind. And for some of us, this already might be a beyond strange. Thinking, what on earth is going on here? You're telling me that a demon has possessed this man. There are actual demons possessed people. How unenlightened is that? What on earth is going on? And if that's how you're thinking, even just a hint of that sort of line of thinking, I just want to say you're so welcome here. It's great you're here with us. And all I want to say is let's keep an open mind. Let's be curious and look to Jesus. See, how, what does he do? How does he respond? But as well as looking to Jesus, let's also take a step back. Look out at the world. And we may be familiar with news we've heard already. Rory's prayed for situation in Niger, in Ukraine. All sorts of terrible things, sadly, happening in our world today. But not just all around the world, but in our own city as well, in our own lives. For example, in this city, sadly, we so often hear about knife crime. We have to face up to what is going on there. Why are people doing that? I generally get around London by cycling. I think that's the quickest way of getting around, hands down. Or at least I make it the quickest way, uh, ducking and weaving uh, through uh, the way, uh, through traffic, through side roads. And um, there are one, there's one side road I particularly go down, and it's... Uh, bit of a quieter road the bus I would take doesn't go down it it's relatively quiet most of the time and that's how I get I kind of know the route now so I know off my heart most days I'm going down that road but there's twice over this last year where I've been going down that road and I've had to actually take a diversion I have to go around a different way because the police tape is up and one time sadly it was a shooting and other time it was a stabbing so sad how could people do that now you might say, well, why don't you cycle a different way around and not go down these side roads? But the reality is we can't get away from the evil in this city, in our own town that we live in, our own place, our own context. Whichever way we go, we can't sadly get away from it. We have to face up to that question, why? How could this happen? How could people be like that? Someone who's thought a lot about this is someone called Andrew Delbanco. He's a secular scholar professor at Columbia University in the States. He's written a book on this, in fact, called The Death of Satan, How Americans Have Lost the Sense of Evil. And this is what he writes. There's a gulf has opened up in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual resources available for coping with it. So we all can see the evil in our world, but there's a massive gulf between that, seeing it, and then our intellectual resources for coping with it. Our explanations are strategies for dealing with it. There's a massive gulf in our culture. We just can't get our heads around. Why would people do that? How could people do that? We struggle to make sense of evil. We struggle to cope with it, get our heads around it. And I think that's because we've lost sight of Jesus in our culture. So we need to come back to Jesus. And in our story, we see that demons are terrified of him. The darkness here trembles before Jesus. In verse 28, look at me what we read there. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at the top of his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? 
I beg you, don't torture me. You have to slow down. What's going on? What earth is happening? As unsettling as it might be. But for some of us, actually, this, this might not be as unsettling. We might be more familiar with this sort of thing. It might be either from growing up here in London or elsewhere in the world, maybe it's a particular background or culture. For some of us, either we've seen this stuff firsthand or we've heard others talk about it. And this sort of situation is not unfamiliar. I certainly learned a great deal about this um, sort of spiritual reality, as it were, when I was in India about 10 years ago. I um, was there with a charity called YWAM Youth with a Mission. We did all sorts of different things together. Uh, and part of it, uh, one stage of the time there was with the local pastor, we'd go around different people's homes and we'd pray for people. And we all, all as a group. And the rest of the group were all from India. They could all speak the local language, um, which was Tamil, state of Tamil Nadu. And we would, so they would pray basically. I would sort of join in, but I couldn't, I wouldn't say anything. I'd just sort of sort of listen in, as it were, and just hope sort of my prayers uh, in my own heart would be helping. Um, I didn't really know exactly what was going on when, what exactly were we praying for all the time. Um, and as one time in particular, we were praying for someone, or they were praying, I was more listening, and I could tell something was going on. I couldn't quite tell exactly what, uh, but I could tell, you know, chains were being broken, there's freedom being unleashed for this woman. Uh, her life was being changed, but I just couldn't tell exactly what the issue was, what was going on? So afterwards, I spoke to a friend in the group and I asked, what, what was going on there? What happened in that situation when we were praying? And they said that as they were praying, the demon was speaking from that woman to them, to us. And they prayed that in Jesus' name, they cast out the demon and it went, hallelujah. There was freedom there. And I had no idea. I just thought it was the woman speaking. I didn't realize what was going on. And for that friend, it was actually, that wasn't a kind of, First hand, the first experience of that, as it were, this was something that was relatively commonplace. So this is not just something 2,000 years ago in those days. This is something that happens still today. But how should we approach this topic? Wherever we are, however we're feeling about this sort of thing, it's always good, in any sermon, in fact, particularly this one, to keep in mind the words of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, uh, as we probably all know, he's wrote the Narnia books, classics but he also wrote other books and one other fictional story he wrote was called the screw tape letters you might have heard it. this is a fictional story of um screw tape it's a senior demon writing to his nephew a junior demon called wormwood it's really interesting i definitely recommend reading that it's a classic on sort of spiritual warfare and that sort of thing and in the preface to the book lewis uh he wrote there are two dangers we often face in our particularly in our culture, but just across the world, really, um, when we look at this topic. And this is what he says. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. Maybe for many of us, that's our danger. But for other, the other danger is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So we've got two dangers here. Disbelieve in it at all, write it off, or have an excessive, unhealthy interest in it. We've got to keep the balance between the two. And this matters because it's not just an abstract topic. This is not just sort of ideas in the air. This is, has real world implications for each of us. Because the Bible speaks of evil coming from three main sources. The world out there, the flesh that's inside of each one of us, our own selfish desires, but also the devil and his demons. So as followers of Jesus, we must come to terms 
with this. The demons, fallen, these fallen angels, they have, in the story we've read, and they continue to wreak havoc in the world today. But the message above all for us is not on the demons. The message is we have no need to be afraid of this because we are safe in Jesus. We've already seen he has power and authority over the storm and he also has great love for us as well. We are safe in him. And how can we have such confidence in this particular instance? Well, let's look at how Jesus responds to the man who's come to him, to meet him. Because he's not scared. He's not phased in the slightest by this situation. I would probably be terrified, but Jesus is not scared. And it all happens in a flash, what, ha- what the sort of sequence of events, so it's easy to get lost in it all. But do you notice who speaks first in this exchange? You'd think it'd be the man, right? Well, in verse 29, have a look. It says, Jesus has already commanded the demons, the impure spirit, to come out of the man. The demons respond to that in utter fright and trembling, saying, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. But do you see the complete authority and power Jesus has over these demons? Just his presence alone terrifies them. Demons recognize who Jesus is. They know their destiny to be eternally tortured. And they know the timing for that is totally in Jesus' hands. So we have no need to be afraid because we're in Christ and Christ has total authority in the spiritual realm. He's not afraid. He's not phased. In fact, so much so, he doesn't just command demons to come out. He actually converses with them like he would anyone else. He just says, what is your name? Verse 30. Just so relaxed, so at ease. He's not scared in the slightest because he has total control. There's no need to be afraid. Imagine... um, you were to meet, or maybe you have met, Tyson Fury. He's coming up on the screen now. Six foot seven, two meters tall, 19 stone, big guy. He is uh, British. He's also the heavyweight, heavyweight boxing world champion. Big guy. And imagine he's coming up against me, who's never boxed in my life. Who do you think would win? Me or Tyson? I think that guy, Tyson Fury, would win. Or, but, and that's a little bit like you know, God and the devil. Well, actually, it's even more than that. It's a bit like Tyson Fury and an ant. Just steps on it. Gone. Total authority. There's no comparison here. Jesus is not bargaining with the devil, with the demons. He's totally in control. So in Christ, we have no need to be afraid because we are safe in him. Jesus commands the demons to come out. He's conversed with them. And finally, he casts out the demons into the pigs. We read that in verse 32. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillsides. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down a steep bank into the lake and was drowned. This is probably the strangest part of the story. What is going on here? Those poor pigs. What's going on? But what we see here is actually... Jesus' great love and compassion. Because that area, for a long time, had been devastated by this man, this demon. These demons had caused havoc in the area. So Jesus knows that by giving what the demons what they want to go into the pigs, he's not, it's not just the end of the pigs, it's also the end of the demons as well. They'll be drowned, that's it, they're gone. The area is protected, can flourish again. 
Jesus loves these people. He wants to protect them from the demons. So we see not just Jesus' power, but his great love, his great compassion for these people. He hasn't met them before, but he just loves them so much. So we have no need to be afraid because we too can come into the loving arms of Jesus. So there's such safety, such comfort, such ease in Jesus, the one who holds all the power and all the authority. And actually we see Jesus' love throughout this whole story, even from the very first verse of our passage. Jesus is determined to get to the other side of the lake. And we see that in verse 30, 22, sorry, the first verse. Let's go to the other side of the lake. Now he knows the other side of the lake, the Gerasenes area, where the pigs are. That, just the sign of those pigs shows this is a Gentile area. So that means it's not Jewish, because Jewish people wouldn't have been in an area where there's loads of pigs there. So Jesus, that's why Jesus and the disciples wouldn't have gone to this area usually. But Jesus is determined to get there. Whatever the weather, he's determined to get to the other side of the lake. And he knows that when he gets there, he's going to meet this man. And that man, even in that area, is cast out from society. He's on the edge of the periphery of society, in the tombs. No one is there for him. He has no community. He's on his own, in bondage to these demons. He just goes all the way to the other side of the lake because he cares for that man. And, And for some of us, we might feel a little bit like on the edge of things. Maybe just peering in on the Christian faith. Maybe our first time here at church. But this story shows Jesus cares for each person. In fact, he goes deliberately out to those on the edge. So he's come for you. He wants to meet with you where you are at today. He cares about you. And he wants to meet you. And not just meet you, but you see what happens to the man. His, his life is totally turned around. Think back to the first part of the story. When Jesus met this man, he was naked. He was uncontrollably violent, destructive. He was shouting at Jesus at the top of his voice. Down, look at the end. And one encounter with Jesus changes everything. Verse 35. We read, all the locals, everyone in that town, they came to see this man. And what do they see? He's sitting at Jesus' feet. He's dressed. And he's right minds. What an amazing picture of transformation, of salvation as well. That's what it means to be saved, to sit at Jesus' feet, to dress in our right mind at peace in ourselves and with God. But the people, how do they respond? You'd think they'd be grateful. Finally, that guy is back. He's kind of back in our society again. He's not just out causing havoc, breaking those chains. But no, look how they respond a bit like how the disciples, after the storm, they were in fear and amazement at Jesus. Well, even more so, the, the locals at that time, we read they were afraid and actually even overcome with fear. So much so that unlike the disciples, they actually asked Jesus to leave that region. They can't handle his presence. So how sad. These people had seen what Jesus had done and yet they didn't know his heart, his love. All they saw was just the power the authority, they didn't know his love, his compassion. They didn't know that in Christ they have no need to be afraid because they are safe in his loving arms. But instead, they don't want anything to do with him. So Jesus honors their request. He doesn't force himself on them. He gets into the boat and he leaves. But the man, understandably, he's totally dependent on Jesus for his liberation. 
He begs Jesus, please, can I go with you? Please. And just notice what Jesus says in response. Jesus knows that the people of that town, even though they've just rejected him and don't want anything to do with him, they might listen to this man. They might listen to this man because this man has a story to tell. His story is one of transformation, of going from death to life, from darkness to light, from enslaved to freedom. This man has a story of God's power at work in his life. So Jesus says, return home, verse 29, and tell how much God has done for you. This man's story, it matters. And Jesus cares for the town, the people. They, he wants them to know that God has done an amazing work in this man's life and he can do an amazing work in their life. And so that's what the man does. We see that. He, he went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus had set him free, told people that story. And that might be our response as well. We might need to just have that encouragement, wherever our, whatever our context is, to return to that, return to whatever it's at home, whether it's our flat, our flatmates, or is it work, whatever it is, return home, tell how much God has done for you, the good news of what he has done in your life. This man might not know much about Jesus, but he did know that this Jesus had turned his life around and he told that story. Jesus had great care and compassion for the man, but also for the whole neighborhood, the whole area. So as we look back on that story and just kind of reflect on it as a whole, in many ways it might seem a bit of a strange story with pigs and demons and everything else. But ultimately, I think we can see ourselves in this story. And actually, particularly in that man. That man's, at the start of the story, his nakedness, his chains, his isolation, they're really a picture of us all, apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, the Bible shows us we're all sinners, all in that domain of darkness, enslaved in our sin, isolated, separate from God. We're all in this condition. His case is just a bit more poignant, a bit more obvious. But here we are in this condition as sinners, and Jesus liberates him, sets him free. But how can Jesus do that? Why and how can Jesus set this man free? Well, it's because the end of Jesus' life, Jesus is the one who is naked on the cross. He is the one who is a prisoner, isolated, outside of city gates, He is the one crying out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was able to heal that man because he took his place. He was there on the cross, taking his place and our place, paying the price for our sin, the things that have enslaved us. He was stripped so that we could be clothed. Jesus was abandoned so we could have, be in the loving arms of God our Father. We can know God's love and forgiveness. We can have inner peace, be in our right minds. This man, like all of us who put our trust in Jesus, can say that God has brought us from darkness to light, from death to life, from in chains to knowing freedom in Christ. And we see that so clearly at the end of the story, that picture of salvation of this man sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and his right mind. For each one of us, that is what Jesus can do for us. In the chaos and the confusion of our lives, Jesus can do that. Restore us to himself so we can sit at his feet, dressed in our right minds, have peace even in the storms. So we can know we have no need to be afraid because we're safe 
in Jesus' loving arms. Amen.